Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about middle school delusions so that you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life by James Patterson. Joining us to discuss James Patterson's middle grade money grab is Abby, librarian slash middle school rule follower. Hi, Abby. Hello. I'm super glad Abby could join us. Um, She was at full disclosure. I work with Abby and she is awesome. And she's one of the first people I wanted to have on the podcast. But uh, she has been on the Newberry Medal Committee the last year. So she could not read shitty books like this because she was too busy reading actual good ones. Yes. Sadly, James Patterson has never won a Newberry Medal. Thanks. I was really thinking this was going to be his year. (laughs) I mean, he is apparently the Children's Choice Author of the Year, whatever that is. Oh, God. It says that on my book. Isn't that the same one Rush Limbaugh won? I think it was. I think that's the one that they choose via, like, online radio button poll. (laughs) So... Yeah, I think I think we are now like truthers of this children's book award. We're gonna have to get to the <laughs> bottom of that. <laughs> Want to see James Patterson's birth certificate? <laughs> oh right. goodness! So, um, um, so this book. I mean, obviously, you probably have heard of James Patterson. I think he's the only author whose books I've seen actual commercials for on TV. Uh, he has written or written in quotes like hundreds of books for all ages and this is one of them it certainly is to me this was very clearly james patterson looking at middle grade literature and seeing like diary of a wimpy kid and big nate and dear dumb diary and being like hmm i gotta get me some of that fake journal money and throwing together whatever this was supposed to be yeah, and he, he also has, um, like, well, he and his publisher, whoever, like, read, kiddo, read, which is their whole thing for, like, trying to um, coerce reluctant readers to read. That's, that's certainly what they that want to be called as kiddos. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. So this uh, this is set up as one of those, like, faux journal things. It's filled with little illustrations and, like, asides and fake handwriting and things like that. Um, the illustrations themselves are not that bad, but they're they're cute. They're good. And I like the style of them, but it's – they're very pasted on. Like, it's clear that this is kind of supposed to be – it's very clear. It's explicit at the end that this is supposed to be him writing and illustrating an account of his first year of middle school – but it, to me, it lacks that kind of journalistic feeling that all of those other books that I just mentioned have. Like, if it wasn't for the illustrations and the little line headings and things sprinkled throughout, I would very easily forget that, that this is the, what the type of book that I'm reading is supposed to be. I was talking to Abby a little bit last week, and I said that um, this felt to me like a drunk history version of a Wimpy Kid book. Where James Patterson's like, yeah, no, so he's writing a journal, and then there's a picture, and then he has an imaginary friend, but no, wait, and then his dad, but also um, there's a girl he likes, no, but wait a minute, but then also um, he gets detention, like, it, like just that, forever. 
Yeah, I guess we should. I guess we should explain, I guess, a little bit about what this book is before we get into why it doesn't work. Yeah. So, like we said, it is a journal um, by this kid, Raph, who is just starting middle school and has kind of already decided that it's garbage and terrible. Uh, He lives with his mom and his younger sister and his mom's deadbeat, unemployed boyfriend who sits on the couch and drinks high-caffeine volume cola while watching football games all day. And, um... First of all, I don't know, in my head I kept thinking his name was Rafe. I don't it's spelled R A F E. I guess his full name is is Raphael. Yeah, I I was pronouncing it Raph because there's a character on the TV show In Plain Sight whose name is Raphael and who everyone calls him Raph and it's spelled that way, so I just kind of went right for that. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, it, it doesn't matter what you call this kid. Anyway, so he he doesn't have any friends except for um, this this one guy named Leo, who at first he tells us um, is called Leo the Silent because he never talks to anybody, and then he immediately has a really long conversation <laughs> with Leo. So I was like, okay. But then um, a few chapters later, it's revealed that Leo is actually Rafe Raph's imaginary friend who his mom and and especially Bear, his, I guess not technically stepdad, his mom's boyfriend, like, they really don't approve of him talking to Leo and they really, like, you know, he's in sixth grade, he's too old. They're kind of embarrassed about it, I think. And um, also the, the conceit is that in his journal, all the illustrations are done by Leo and not by him. Which kind of falls apart once it's revealed that Leo is imaginary, like, obviously, but there are still illustrations. It's very strange. It it is definitely kind of a hodgepodge, written by committee sort of thing. Because then, yeah, because then once you find out Leo's imaginary, but he's still pretending like Leo does the drawings, then it's like, oh, wait, is, is this a book about mental illness? Like... It seems like he's being very cavalier about this, but it it really does seem like some kind of a split personality thing is happening, especially because okay, oh my gosh, there's there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so 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 it's it's the start of middle school, and he decides in an assembly before we find out that Leo's an imaginary friend. Leo says to him, "You know what a good idea would be if you look at the list of rules in the handbook we were just handed and make it your goal to break every single one of the rules before the end of 6th grade." And for some reason, he's like, "Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Let's do that and let's start by pulling the fire alarm during a school assembly." So he um he makes a whole list and he makes it into a game where if he breaks like certain rules are worth more points than others and if other people see him he gets additional points and if the girl he likes see him sees him he gets additional points and um like all these other if he gets detention he gets a whole lot of additional points for it so it becomes like this game of him trying to break all of the rules before the end of the year and before he runs out of these arbitrarily decided lives that he has, like in a video game. And it, it just like, that's the major conceit. And it, it, I have a lot of concern for this child. Well, and especially because, you know, you could see this maybe being the case where it's like, 
a kid who he feels like he's been unfairly singled out and like you see this kind of track record of like oh well everyone else was talking but I was the only one who got in trouble so like fine I'll just break all the rules but we haven't seen any evidence it's the first day and they haven't like the rules as we see them are like pretty standard also like it's not like, oh, he's suddenly gone to middle school and now it's so much more strict than his old school. Like, they're pretty standard rules, such as do not pull the fire alarm when there's no fire. <laughs> yeah, don't run in the hallway. Stupid things like that. And he, like, makes it his mission. And I feel like in more deft hands, it could have turned into this very, like, you know, uh, bear, the their mom's boyfriend is, like, borderline abusive like he never actually abuses them but he's very clearly worthless and very clearly bringing them all down he's kind of emotionally abusive yeah he doesn't respect raf's mom he doesn't respect the kids like the kids are afraid of him and we never really see him do anything except shout until the very end yeah it's clear that's what the intention is that is that he is a bad abusive figure but he's never it's a book about an abusive parental figure without actually, like, going into it in any kind of detail. So, again, I feel like if he had committed a little bit more to that and we'd been like, oh, yeah, like, this is an abused child acting out to get attention. And that's not really what it seems to be either. Yeah, like, there's all of these things that would make for a good reason why. Because I, I guess, um, so he, he goes through and he tries to break all these rules and... He gets detention and gets caught several times. And um, one of the teachers notices his artistic potential and is trying to reach out for to him, but he's ignoring her. And finally, he pulls like this really big thing where he, he sharpies a mural on the side of the wall of the school as the prison that he sees it as. And, and it's not even a prison. It's like he, he sees it as kind of like a medieval dungeon. And he gets caught, but just as he gets caught for doing that, Bear gets so angry about it that he and uh, Raph's mom are having an argument outside and Bear pushes her and she breaks her wrist and she finally dumps him and all of these things are happening at once. And essentially, he, Raph is, is going to be expelled when the teacher is like, oh no, I think instead we should have him work over the summer to get his grades up and then send him to art school because he has potential. And during that scene, it's revealed that not only is Leo an imaginary friend, but that Raph had a twin brother who died when they were three and his name was Leo. And that is who he's talking to, which is very strange and comes out of nowhere and adds another layer. Like if if someone who was better at writing had written a story about a young boy whose dead twin brother is kind of haunting him and who's stuck in this abusive relationship and who lashes out by breaking all of the rules, it could be really interesting. But instead what we get is a story about a boy who's pretty unlikable, who just seems to arbitrarily decide to do this without caring about the consequences and not for any sort of from any sort of external pressure, either mental or or real or perceived. He just, like, this is what he's going to do, is that he's going to go down in history as the person who broke all the rules on a whim. <sighs> Sorry, I talked for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or even, like, um, 
Oh, Abby, what's that book that, like, what is it, Upside Down and, no, not Upside Down in the Middle of Nowhere, but the other one with a title like that, like, Around the World and something? Uh, we read it for Magnum, the one about the kid who is adopted. Oh, half, half a World Away? Yes, okay, Half a World Away. And that's a book about a kid who's, like, pretty unlikable, too, and in a way, like, you see him lashing out and breaking all these rules for you know, no apparent reason, except that there is one because he was adopted from this sort of abusive situation and has, you know, an attachment disorder and he's in therapy. And like, so you do get to understand like why he's doing that. And even though his individual behaviors still don't necessarily make sense on a literal level, like you kind of go through his journey. And so I think that, again, this could be something like that where you're like, okay, like he is grieving and he is dealing with this, but because of the sort of flippant way that it's revealed, and I don't even know, because I think that you could, you know, because I think that kids do process things very differently, like, I don't know, I I do think that maybe even a better writer could have written sort of a funny book that is also sort of about these issues, but I just think that this is such a weird mishmash that's not effective. Yeah, it like I think that there you can absolutely write like funny books about sad things, but this seems to be like a funny book that instead of using sad things as character builders and to explain actions, they're used entirely for shock value as plot points. Right. Yeah. It's very strange. Abby, can you talk about some of the theories that you were developing while you were reading this <laughs> cuz they're like better than the actual book? <laughs> yeah, well like I had this whole, like, progression. So, like, I'm reading and, you know, he's talking to Leo and, like, okay, whatever, that's a little whatever. And then it's, like, revealed that Leo's, like, his imaginary friend. And so then – and he keeps talking to him. And I think, okay, like, you know, is he is he just kind of crazy? You know, maybe he's schizophrenic. Maybe he actually sees Leo. And then, like, we keep going and, like, he keeps um, – just, like, the way that he kept referring to Leo and, like – and how Leo's like doing the illustrations in this book. And I thought, well, wait a minute. Like maybe, um, Raph has like split personalities. Like maybe he is Leo. And then, and then you just get to the end and it's like, well, wait a minute. What? <laughs> and like, cause he's talked throughout the whole book. He's like had these long drawn out conversations with him. And it's like, even after like you, it's revealed that Leo is not physically there. Like he still has these long conversations with him. It just felt just totally weird. And, like, even the way he, like, describes Leo, saying that, like, he he died when he was three years old, but he says, like, oh, he was, you know, he looked kind of like me, but he was pudgy and, like, all this, like, all this stuff that, like, he wouldn't even remember, like, from being three years old. Like, it was just totally nuts, man. And, like, I feel like I would have liked Raph better if he had had a mental illness. Right. Um, and the the other thing, too, was that f- based on the way teachers are talking to him and stuff, it seems like they had no idea about any of this, which I feel like it should have been in his file or something. Right. And, and then also, like, he had never really been a problem student before, which I don't – I mean, I, I guess we're not clear on how long his mom has been with this guy, Bear, and maybe that's the new thing. But it doesn't really seem clear in, like, why all of a sudden in sixth grade this is happening when the brother had died so long ago, when, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, it's very, 
it's not very well crafted. There's all of these bits. It feels like he couldn't commit to writing either a serious book or a funny book that he, I don't know. It's a mess. It was really just nothing that anyone did really followed any sort of logic or made any sense. Everything was a reach. And like Abby said, there were a lot of like really interesting ways that he could have gone that would have made a better book, but instead we just get this like unlikable character who seems to be doing this as a self-challenge to be an asshole, as opposed to out of any motivation, you know, from grief or anger or because of what's going on at home. Yeah, like I I kept in the notes like comparing them to the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books, because I love the Wimpy Kid books. And I know that there are parents and people who don't like them and don't like them because they think that Greg is a bad influence. But despite the fact that Greg is a little shit in the Wimpy Kid books, there's enough there within his character that makes me care about him and makes me become invested in what he's doing. You know, enough groundwork is laid. There's enough logic behind why he pulls the stunts he pulls that I'm kind of rooting for him. Whereas there's none of that logic here. The book didn't do any of the work to make me root for this kid. And I'm sad because I, I don't want to root against a kid, even in a book. But like every time, every page that I read, I wanted to be like, why, why is he not in trouble for this? There are ways, if he pulled the fire alarm, he would have gotten that, like, ink stuff all over him. They would know who did it. Like, they would try to find out who did it. Why is he not being punished? Why are none of his teachers saying, like, wow, you know, Raph, you used to be a really good student, and now, you know, you're really failing, and you really should try to get your act together. Can I get you a tutor? Like, what is happening here? <laughs> Well, he just seems so clueless, too. Like, at the end of the book, he has no idea that, like, oh, I didn't know I would have to repeat the sixth grade. I didn't know that there was such a thing as flunking. Like, come on now. Seriously. And I think one of the other attempts in the book, too, that we haven't addressed really to make him seem more likable is also on the first day, he um, somehow becomes enemies immediately with the school, school bully, Miller the Killer. But it also just felt really flat. Like, it seemed like a weird attempt. Like, oh, bullying is in right now. We'll put a bully in here. But as a bully character, he didn't really ring true either. Like, I don't know, man. And they attempt, like, I think what was supposed to be kind of a redemption for him at the end. Uh, he steals Raph's notebook that's full of all of his plans for this rule-breaking game. And he makes Raph buy them back from him a dollar a page over the course of the year. And then I guess after the Christmas break, he reads all the pages and he becomes like kind of invested in it and jacks up the price. And then after the mural incident, he gives Which, all say the what that is. Back. We haven't talked about the mural incident. Oh, no, I talked about it before oh. that he, he draws a mural on the side of the school with his depiction of the school as a, a medieval like. Oh, right. You did. Dungeon. You did. Sorry. Man, that was weird. That's okay, though. Renata. You don't listen when I talk. That's fine. <laughs> fine. I'm sorry. It's just my imaginary <laughs> sister was talking to me at the same time. <laughs> You're breaking the rules of podcast. <laughs> 
you can't tell me what to do, man. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like they're trying to redeem Millers for some reason, but they they don't do it. <laughs> like they don't go anywhere with it. They don't explain it at all. So I I don't, I don't know if they ran out of time before the deadline or what, but <laughs> right. Um, I will, because I, I, another thing I was talking to Abby about recently was, like, do these circulate in our children's apartment? Like, are people reading them? And it seems like, kind of. Uh, yeah, they really circ. I don't know if it's kids checking them out, or if it's just, like, grown-ups, you see the name James Patterson, and they're like, oh, that's a James Patterson book I haven't read. But they really, they really do. I am, at my teen advisory board, where we start the meetings by saying, like, Oh, uh, what book are you reading? And at our last meeting, I said I was reading this, and I asked if any of them had read it, and a few of the eighth graders said they had, and we just talked about it a little bit, and I was like, did you guys like it? And they were like, it was like kind of funny, but kind of weird, and I was like, yeah, agree. And then I asked if they read <laughs> any of the other ones in the series, and they said no, and they didn't really seem that interested in, in continuing with Rafe's adventures, which is also how I feel. <laughs> I don't know how frequent it is in the library system having adults check out books for children but I know that when I was working at the bookstore um I don't think this book was out yet but a lot of the big like the um the John Grisham kids books and the James Patterson teen books and stuff like that a lot of adults and like family members would buy them for kids and teens because they recognize the name Right. And I'm sure James Patterson has taken that all the way to the bank. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I guess let's go ahead and get into our dramatic readings and just share a little bit of this with all of you. Oh, boy. (laughs) It will be truly delightful. The first dramatic reading is going to be Raph's first day of school when he first crossed paths with Miller the Killer. And Renata will be reading the part of Miller the Killer, and Abby will be reading Raph. Okay. I've seen enough movies that I know when you first get to prison, you basically have two choices. One, pound the living daylights out of someone so that everyone else will think you're insane and stay out of your way. Or two, keep your head down, try to blend in, and don't get on anyone's bad side. You've already seen what I look like, so you can probably guess which one I chose. As soon as I got to homeroom, I went straight for the back row and sat as far from the teacher's desk as possible. There was just one problem with that plan, and his name was Miller. Miller the killer, to be exact. It's impossible to stay off this kid's bad side, because it's the only one he's got. But I didn't know any of that yet. Sitting in the back, huh? Yeah. Are you one of those troublemakers or something? I don't know, not really. Because this is where all the juvies sit, he said and took a step closer. In fact, you're in my seat. I don't see your name on it. I told him and I was just starting to think maybe that was the wrong thing to say when Miller put one of his XXXL paws around my neck and started lifting me like a hundred pound dumbbell. I usually like to keep my head attached to my body, so I went ahead and stood up like he wanted me to. Yeah, and then there's an illustration, which, by the way, um, when he says earlier, you've seen what I look like, and his drawings of him, I'm not even clear what he meant by that. He just looks like a pretty normal kid. I guess, if anything, maybe he's, and like, in this next one, he's much shorter than Miller, so maybe that's just what he meant. Like, you've seen what I look like, I'm short, but... 
mean, he kind of looks a little nerdy. He's got kind of the like bowl haircut and the big sticky out ears. I guess. Yeah, he doesn't have glasses though, which is the real hallmark mm. of a cartoon nerd. <laughs> Yeah, and just even, you know, in this, you can see stuff like, um, I've seen enough prison movies. Like, you're in sixth grade. How many prison movies are you watching? I mean, I guess we do know that he has inattentive parents, but, like, what are you watching, Oz? Plus, like, it it really confuses me that he keeps calling it a prison, but in all of his illustrations, it definitely isn't a prison. It's definitely, like, the dungeon of a castle. It's very strange. That's true. And yeah, that I was, didn't really like pick up on that, but it because it it confused. I used to get really. I used to get when I was reading it. I would get very confused because he would start like when he'd go to the principal's office or like when these things would happen. He would start with these like fantasy world narrations of what was happening, where he's like in the dungeon with the executioner, like yelling at him. But then, like, he never really explained what that meant in real world words. So sometimes it was hard to follow, like, what the actual punishment was and what he was actually being punished for because he never would go back and recover the ground from the fantasy. All right. Our next dramatic reading is uh, his brilliant decision to break all of the school rules. And for this, I will be reading the part of Raph and Abby will be reading the part of Leo. Did you ever hear the expression, breaking every rule in the book? That was it. That was my big idea. Break every rule in the book. Literally. The way I saw it, the HVMS code of conduct could be my worst enemy here at school, or, if I played it right, I could turn it into my best friend. Sorry, Leo. I mean my second best friend. And it would take a little bit of work, and a ton of guts. Maybe two tons. Leo knew exactly what I was thinking. The idea had come from his picture, after all. Go for it. Just pick something out of the book and get started. Right now? Why not? What are you waiting for? I just kind of sat there, frozen. So Leo flipped open the book for me and pointed to something on the page without even looking down. When I saw where his finger landed, I almost started having a heart attack. I can't do that. What if someone gets hurt? How does this hurt anyone, except maybe you? Somehow, that didn't make me feel any better. Listen, you're never going to be one of those people. He pointed at all the student council candidates and jocks and cheerleaders sitting on chairs that have been set up on the gym floor. But this, he said, thumping the rule book with his pen, this is something you can do. I don't know. Or you can keep going the way you're going, and every day can be just like this one. It might not be so bad. There are only 180 school days in a year. That did it. Okay, okay, I said, and even though my heart was pounding out the star-spangled banner, I got up and walked over to one of where one of the prison guards, I mean teachers, was standing by the gym door. Uh, and then he gets a bathroom pass, and he goes out to the hallway, and then... I stood there, staring at the little red box on the wall. I could just hear Leo now, like he was right there. Don't think about it. Just do it. I flipped the latch, opened the wire cage around the alarm box, and put my finger on the little white handle inside. This was what you call the point of no return. 
my mission, should I choose to accept it, and all that. Still, was I crazy? Was I completely nuts for thinking I could pull this off? Yes, I told myself. You are. Okay, I thought, just checking. And I pulled the alarm. So that that's his first yeah, his first foray into like that that's what he's he's pulls the alarm during an assembly. And he never and, gets caught. Like this yeah. teacher who just let him out five seconds ago, like didn't think like, oh, I wonder if that kid pulled the fire alarm. Right. And I mean I I guess from his name, Rafe Catchadorian, like this kid's probably like Greek maybe, but like just pause and imagine a story about a black kid who decides to break all the rules in his school. Like, that's mm. a very different story. He would not be going to art school. No, indeed. I mean, I, I guess it's maybe for the best that James Patterson is not trying to tackle that topic. I don't think he has a <laughs> sensitive hand for it, but yikes. All right, and then for our last dramatic reading, we're actually going to skip ahead pretty far. Because what <laughs> this book has, what, 75 chapters, maybe? And this reveal that's pretty critical comes... Chapter 73. Um, and so I will be playing the role of Rafe's mom, and Abby will be Mrs. Donatello, who's the one teacher who believed in him and saw his artistic ability, and Kate will be Rafe, or Raph. And I couldn't agree more, and believe me, there are going to be consequences. I could hardly stand it anymore. Where was this thing going to land? But you see, I've always known that Raph is an artist at heart. It's in his blood. In fact, he's named for the great Raphael Sanzio of Urbino. I named all of my children after artists I admire. Raph's sister is named for Georgia O'Keeffe. Nice choices. And Rafe also had a twin brother. Now I just wanted her to stop talking, but of course she didn't. She kept going. His name was Leonardo. Or Leonardo da Vinci? That's right. Unfortunately, Leo died very young. He got sick with meningitis and the boys were just three, and we lost him. It was a long time ago. But even so, Leo's still with us in spirit. Isn't that right, Rafe? I just nodded. It was true, after all. And I guess I owe you an explanation. You're probably thinking, hang on a second! All these chapters and all these pages, and he's just now getting around to telling me that this Leo guy was actually his brother? And I guess the short answer is, yes, that's what I'm telling you. And no, I'm not crazy. I'm okay. Really. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it at all, but I figured if you've stuck with me this far, you deserve to know the whole truth. I don't remember that much from when Leo was around. His hair was lighter than mine, and he was, let's face it, kind of pudgy. In all the old pictures, it's like there's one and a half of him next to me. But we were both pretty little when he died. I remember it got really quiet around the house, and my grandmother came to stay with us. Then, somewhere along the way, I just started imagining what it would be like if Leo was still around. And it just kept going from there. For the record, I'm not saying Leo's always going to be there, like he has been so far. Maybe I'll outgrow him. Or maybe I'll even find a real human best friend someday. Who knows? If that happens, I'm pretty sure Leo wouldn't mind. He'll always be my brother, and that's no matter what. In the meantime, I like things the way they are. Maybe that makes me weird. Maybe it's even part of what makes me an artist, like Mom said. But it just kind of works for me this way. 
Well, except for the part about how I got into all this trouble and was about to get expelled. I know, I know, I'm working on it. Just turn the page and keep reading. Yeah, so, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, um, yeah, as, as we mentioned, he does end up getting to transfer to art school in the next year because he has, you know, so much promise as an artist and whatever. And it's funny because all the other teachers are like, really, are you sure? It seems like you're rewarding him for being a little shit. And his mom's just like, yeah, whatever. But that is what is happening. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, oh God, I don't know. I guess that is maybe too harsh. Like, I know there are kids who need different learning environments, like whatever. But it just, it feels really strange. Yeah. I also feel like they're it, it, they're skipping several steps here. Like, up to this point, they've never really tried to figure out what, why all of a sudden this kid, you know, from nowhere started breaking literally every rule and being such a troublemaker and such a jerk, except for Mrs. Donatello, who apparently didn't bring it up to anyone else prior to this, despite the fact that a whole school year has gone by and she apparently has noticed and taken note that, you know, he's having some problems and she knows ways to get around it. No other teachers have tried to interfere. Like, no one said anything his parents haven't really become involved. Like it, it seems like there are several other steps that you go through before saying, I think this, what this kid needs is a different learning environment. So we should try to send him to art school. There was, maybe it was just for this though. There was a time when a teacher left a voicemail saying they needed to have a conference and Rafe deleted it. And then they had a got his report card. Yeah. Well, I'm like, his mom has, like, known that, like, Leo is around and that Rafe talks to him and that he, she obviously must know that he doesn't have any single other friends at all. Like, I don't understand why therapy was not a part of his life. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. And I don't know if we should be blaming the school district <laughs> or the writing or what. And it, it felt very, like, I... I we never really got the impression that Raph is bad at school. Like he, he is, he gets terrible grades, but we never see him really struggling. We just see him choosing not to do any schoolwork so that he can pull pranks and break rules instead. Like I never got the feeling that he was doing this because school was hard for him. And he genuinely, you know, was having problems keeping up and learning and understanding things more that out of laziness and a desire to do this instead of doing schoolwork, he chose to let his grades slip. Yeah, basically. All right. Um, let's move on to would you rather and I'll ask, would you rather be Raph's teacher or be Theo Boone's teacher? Uh, which is a callback to an earlier episode that we did about Theo Boone, Kid Lawyer, which is John Grisham's weirdo book series for the middle grade audience. Um, I would absolutely prefer to be Theo Boone's teacher because when you're Theo Boone's teacher, Theo Boone does your lesson planning and teaches your students for you while you sit and do the freaking crossword puzzle. So absolutely sign me up to be Theo Boone's teacher he's a condescending like full of himself little shit but you know I'm all for letting him teach my class for me 
Yeah, Theo Boone, I think, would actually be a kid who I would less like as a person, but having him in your class does seem like it would probably be easier than this little shit who's pulling the fire alarm and, like, fucking whatever all the time. So I guess I'll say Theo as well. I mean, it's hard for me to say because I've not read the Theo Boone books, Um, but I might say Rafe because then, you know, I just send him down to detention or whatever and then, you know, we'll just carry on. That's true. Maybe you could be his art school teacher, you know, and then he'd be maybe a new new kid. We we didn't specify. (laughs) That's reasonable. Yep. Okay. Would you rather pretend that your dead brother is still alive in an active part of your life or receive grief counseling and therapy? Um, I think that I would choose to receive grief counseling and therapy because I feel like the delayed PTSD of my eventual discovery slash acknowledgement that my brother is dead would be much more severe than just dealing with it as a child. I mean, if I pretend that my dead brother is still alive, does that mean I get to break all the rules and then just mess around and then go to art school? Because that doesn't sound bad. I mean, it seems like, yes, that is what it means. Oh, well, then I guess I choose that. That sounds a lot easier than grief therapy. (laughs) It's true. I mean, yeah, you got to put some work in there. I guess, you know, age matters, too, if you're a sixth grader doing this versus an actual adult. Well, that's Um, true. Maybe you could do art therapy. Maybe it's kind of like on Six Feet Under how like a ghost dad just turns up t- sometimes and like gives gives advice. And draws you some pictures. Yeah, I'd be okay with that, I guess. But also, um, I know my brother listens to this podcast and uh, I hope you don't die, bro. But if you <laughs> did, I might not cope with it in a healthy way. I don't know. If my brother died, he doesn't listen to this podcast. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> um... I feel like we would just be very, like, weird and antagonistic if his ghost was following me around. It would probably be judging me a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I'd stick with the grief counseling and therapy. That was my original answer. You know, and, and my brother's an artist, too, like Leo, so maybe he would draw me some really cool stuff if he were my imaginary ghost. Yeah, so I'll pick that. <laughs> Okay, last up. Would you rather make up an elaborate game to break all the rules in the handbook or join the art club to fill your time? This one's tough. I like games, but I am at heart a goody (laughs) two-shoes. So I'm not super great at art, but I do like doing artsy things. So I'm going to go with the art club. I also would join the art club because I am... At least in middle school, I was a rule follower for sure. Like, it makes me feel very uncomfortable to think about him pulling the fire alarm, like, even now. So, art club for me. Yeah, I I want to say that I would, like, break the rules, but I'm with you. Like, I I guess that's how we all, like, grew up to be librarians. Like, we were (laughs) like... (laughs) Um... Yeah, I, again, I'm not I'm not good at art, but I, I would join it. I would join every club and, like, put it on my resume to make sure I get into a good high school. Let's be real. <laughs> God. Okay. Let's move on to reader's advisory and say what we might suggest to read instead of or in addition to these books by James Patterson. Um, well, I've said it, like, 85 times, but uh, the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books by Jeff Kinney... 
I think are actually a good version of this concept and a lot more fun. Like even as an adult, I laugh out loud at these books very embarrassingly loudly. Yeah, I mean, I think what these books are trying, they're very consciously trying to be a read-alike for Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I think you could pull up any, like, Diary of a Wimpy Kid read-alikes list, and it would also function as a read-alikes list for this. Um, That's one that I'll recommend that's not, you know, it's not the faux diary style or anything, but Absolutely Almost by Lisa Graff, I really liked. I thought it was a good, like, a very sweet and funny look, but it also very, like, earnest look at a kid who's struggling in school and who you know he's not getting good grades and it's just not quite clicking for him and I thought it was a really good depiction of that versus just some little shit who's deciding to break all the rules for no reason (laughs) well and and I'll say too that um, Carter finally gets it by Brent Crawford is a book about like truly about a middle school kid who's just really like figuring stuff out and it is hilarious and it's a little like edgier I think like I mean definitely he you know talks a lot about sex and things like that but like um it's just hilarious and it's about this kid who's you know he's clueless and he's making all kinds of mistakes and he's being a little asshole but like it's funny and like you you know you kind of root for him and you know I think it's something kids would really like I'm going to also recommend not necessarily faux diary style, but also kind of a middle school and high school biography, Smile by Raina Telgemeier, which is a graphic novel that kind of um, covers her life in middle school and high school, um, having to have some hardcore dental Uh, tooth implants after she knocks out her front teeth after a Girl Scout meeting and how she kind of deals with making friends and fitting in and her love of art and a lot of other themes that are in this except that it's really masterfully done and super excellent if you haven't read that definitely pick it up Mm -hmm. um I'll also add okay for now by Gary Schmidt it's, you know, it's it's not the faux diary style or anything, but I think it is a, a really excellent look at a kid who is genuinely dealing with, um, you know, bullying and abuse and not being great at school except for finding, um, finding some solace in art in a way that I think is, is what Rafe was supposed to be doing but not necessarily actually doing. And um, it's, it's really funny and really sweet and really great book. And I'll also say the book No Talking by Andrew Clements, which is maybe kind of on the younger end of the age range, but it's about the fifth graders at this school um, who the teachers call the unshushables because they just won't shut up. And they come together one day and decide to have a contest, the boys versus the girls, to see who can can talk the least. Um, and so it's just it like for kids who kind of dig the rule breaking thing, like it's kind of it's kind of a rule breaking game that's more like just well done and interesting. (laughs) I was also going to recommend an Andrew Clemens book. um, But the one that had jumped to my mind was Frindle, um, which is a similar kind of like rule breaking. How far can we push it story about a boy who, when they're learning about the dictionary and how words are created, decides that he is going to only call pens Frindles from now on. And how it spreads across the country and his the kind of going up against the teacher 
um, and the school and the school district and how it spirals out of his control and is a, a kind of rule breaking story that is better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that said, I, I think in terms of like shitty books we've read this one, it's not like offensively bad. It's, it's confusing and not good, but I, I think that the illustrations are fun. It has, like, really short chapters. I think for a kid who's looking for, like, a, a really um, fast-paced, story-driven thing and isn't really into character development, it, it's it's fine. Like, clearly, you know, kids are reading it for whatever reason, so it's, it's fine. Yeah, I think we need to make a scale of, like... <laughs> The Christmas sweater at the bottom, and <laughs> I don't know what did we kind of like. <laughs> uh, the Courtney Robertson book, but that's yeah. sort of on its own level. Yeah. <laughs> Scavenger hunt on one side, and and the Christmas sweater on the other, and where it falls in the. It's harmless. It's fine. It's nothing is about it is gonna hurt anyone. And it's not going to make you feel like you'll never be happy again. So. <laughs> so that's, we should, they should start quoting us on the back of book labs. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the worst, worst bestseller. <laughs> it's fine. It won't rob your life of joy. <laughs> One star. <laughs> Shrug emoticon. <laughs> yeah, that's that sums it up pretty much. <laughs> um, let's move on to our candy pairing where we sum up our feelings about this book in the form of candy. And um, I've I've chosen the Starburst jelly beans, which I don't especially like, and um, they're they're like too fruity to me. If that makes sense, and I feel like. I like Starburst and I like jelly beans individually and then they have this thing that sounds like it would be good and then it's just like, meh. And that's how I feel about this. <laughs> well, I chose Almond Joy because I think this kid is just nuts. <laughs> that's ableist, Abby. <laughs> I chose Airheads Extreme because uh, they take something that's already kind of a little over the top and amp it up out of a misguided attempt to appeal to kids yep <laughs> wait i haven't heard of airheads extreme like what's extreme about them they're like multiple flavors and i think they're like alternating sour and sweet like they're sour and sweet together and alternating flavors oh i see all right, well, speaking of extreme, um, we're going to move on to a, a new segment that we've started playing. It's a game called The Rock, Paper, Snicked, and in it, um, Kate will explain what role Dwayne The Rock Johnson would have if he were inserted into this book, and I will explain what role Wolverine would have if he were inserted into this book, and then Abby will choose which one she likes better, or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. All right, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be one of Raph's teachers. But unlike the rest of the teachers, except for Donatello, he would notice that Raph, his grades were slipping and he was acting out and that he would um, have concern beyond just punishing him. 
So he'd pull in Raph's mom for a conference that's more than just about his grades. And instead of accusing Raph, he'd be very upfront about his concerns. And he'd work with Raph and ask questions and work with his mom and Mrs. Donatello to put together a strengths-based action plan to help him at least get through the year. He probably would do that. Yeah. It could be an episode of his uh, reality show. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like something you'd have on his show. Yeah. Okay. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, and I guess we didn't explicitly mention that what happens at the end of the book, um, besides him getting into good art school, is he's kind of expelled or, like, suspended for a few weeks. So he just hangs out at his the diner where his mom works all the time and kind of catches up on his homework. And, and that's where he's, I think, been putting together this whole book as a way to, like, explain himself for the year. So anyway, um, Wolverine, I think, would be a regular patron at that diner. Um, he would come in every day and, like, order a hamburger cooked rare. And he would mostly just, like, keep to himself. But he would always, like, tip well. And then um, when he noticed Raph hanging out there all the time, he would, like, eventually start paying attention to him and, you know, maybe take some sort of, like, you know, he would pretend like he didn't care, but he would actually would care about the book that he was working on. And he would give him advice, like, quit being such a little shit and be nice to your mom. But I think Wolverine would also kind of admire his pointless anti-authoritarianism. Hmm. Hmm, both good, you guys. Can I say both? Is that an option? No. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are but tough. We, we won't take it personal. There's no ties in, in the rock, paper, snicked. Well, that's true. Um, I think I have to say, uh, I think I have to say The Rock then. Because I think that, I think Rafe didn't need somebody like that, really. And I mean, I you know, I have love for Wolverine too, but. Yeah, I, I think that he could benefit more. I, I agree. I think he could benefit more from the <laughs> kind then, of guidance The Rock would offer. I think Wolverine usually works better for kids who aren't quite such little shits already. Right. Yeah, Rafe I mean, is like the Quentin choir of, of this world. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, he tends to work better with teenage girls. I feel like Quentin choir, at least his anti-authoritarianism, at least in his own head, isn't as pointless. Right. <laughs> this is a deep cut out there. To <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the moral of the story. And I would say that the moral of the story is that bad behavior deserves a reward, but only if you're white. Um, mine is, and that kind of ties into actually to the moral of most of these books, which is um, that rich white men are the worst. Yes. <laughs> Although he's not rich, but he is white-ish. Whatever. My moral is if your child never receives any kind of therapy or grief assistance, he might act out in bewildering ways. And I mean, he kind of kind of gets rich throughout the book. Like, he could have been rich. He was selling all those drinks or whatever. That's true. Uh, so my moral is pretty much the same as Kate's. Just freaking break all the rules because then you'll get to go to art school. That is, that is literally the moral of this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll move on to... We'll move on to another pointlessly anti-authoritarian um, <laughs> Duarte, my cat. Um, we'll turn to Duarte's corner and give him a moment to express his feelings about this book. All right. Well said, as always, Duarte. Yeah, I agree that, you know, there could have been more animals, but what can you do? I think I'm 
I'm kind of glad Rafe didn't have a pet. It didn't seem like he was responsible enough. No. All right. Um, do any humans have any closing thoughts about this book? I totally forgot to mention this earlier, but it was really creepy to me how Raph like seemed to like worship his mom a little bit. And there were definitely times where he would like make comments about her looks. And like at one point he says that the only reason he doesn't despise his sister is because she looks like what he imagines his mom would have looked like at that age. And it was very strange to me. And I forgot to bring it up, but I just want to put it out there. You might just be thinking of that because our next book is Flowers in the Attic by V.C. Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> Good segue. <laughs> Which it is. We'll be back in two weeks with that one. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us as a podcast on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with No S. Or me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. Or me personally on Twitter at 14 Across. Or me personally on Twitter at Abby Librarian. Yes, and you should also visit Abby's blog, abbythelibrarian.com, which, I mean, honestly, you probably already are. Like, more people read (laughs) Abby's blog than listen to her podcast, I'm positive. But whatever, just in case you're not already, do it, dummy. (laughs) You can also follow us on Facebook and like us over there. Um, You can subscribe to us on Stitcher and iTunes. And if you do, uh, please rate and review us or else we'll send Miller the killer after you to kind of pointlessly antagonize you. (laughs) Yeah, you can have your you can have your dead brother write the reviews if you want or illustrate them, maybe. Yeah, that's fine. We don't care. Uh, You can also email us at worstbestsellers at gmail.com. Um, but I will note that we are scheduled through the end of 2015 with books. So feel free to recommend things for us. But don't worry if you don't see them for a while. Um, we have quite a backlog to get through. There's so many bad books, you guys. Why? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Well, um, Abby, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. Yay. And, uh, yeah, any anytime you want to come back and tell us about good books, we'll be happy to have you. I'll be back for Christopher Pike. Yes, for Christopher Pike. <laughs> um, I'm also going to put a plug in here for, um, instead of reading this or any of the stuff we read, you should totally read The Crossover by Kwame Alexander, this year's yeah. Newbery Medal winner, because it was really yeah, great. Definitely. That was one, actually, that I read um, right after we recorded our Best of 2014 episode, and I was like, no, I would have said this one, but I didn't read it in time. So now I'll just drop in and tell you you should read it. It's fine. I There were a couple books that I read right after we finished recording our Best of episode, so I'm just counting them for 2015. <laughs> okay, good. We've got a plan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks for listening. Have a lovely two weeks, and we'll see you for Flowers in the Attic. Bye. 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 Shrug emoticon. (laughs) 